there have been so many unintentional consequences of attempting to uh, cross a culture and try to do something that you think is good. And uh, many times we've, we've, we've done damage. And so it may be to go back to learn. Hello, welcome again to, uh, why are we talking about rabbits? That's this podcast that tries to look at the heavy things in life, but a little lightly. Old world, new world. That's the enlightenment, what happened to us, who we are, and how it relates to all these old things. Stuff where, I don't know, there's a lot of craziness happening in the old world, but sometimes it, it really helps to educate us about our own craziness. This is Watar. Why are we talking about rabbits? Rabbits are those things on the internet that keep popping up and then running down holes into darkness that really don't help anyone. And this, today, is a conversation about missions. What is a mission? What is a missionary? And today, to talk about that, we bring on Rob Gailey, Monty Lynn, and Darren Reese, who've written an amazing book called Development and Mission. I think you'll like it. Thanks for joining us on Watar. So, first of all, meet Monty, Rob, and Darren, who've written this crazy good book called Development and Mission. And so the reason I'm so excited as the Watar guy, why are we talking about rabbits, is because I think people think we're doing mission work in first things on some level. We're always told that, y'all. And then I always think, I don't know if I want to do mission. I don't know. I always say no. And then yes. And I can't decide. And then you all wrote this book. So we're going to talk about your book today and super excited. So Say hi, Monty. Could you just each introduce yourselves, where you are right now, and just give our, our listeners a context for where you are and who you are? So, Monty. Hey, John. Thanks. And we really appreciate being with you today. Yeah, uh, you. So, Monty Lynn, I live in Abilene, Texas, and uh, work at Abilene Christian University. I'm actually a business teacher, and uh, mm. but have, have passed through life uh, through various phases in social work and international development and a variety of things. So uh, that's me. Great, Monty. Hi, I'm Rob uh, Gailey. I teach at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego, California, and I also direct a Center for International Development. I've been here for 17 years. Prior to that, I was with World Relief, and before that, the Microcredit Summit campaign, and have served uh, in the Church of Nazarene as a pastor and as a missionary. And so my background also, even though I teach now in the business school, at Point Loma Nazarene University with an international development major. So we have students who are studying uh, this topic. So, And thanks again, uh, John, for having us on as well. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll echo that. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Darren Reese, and I'm at Abilene Christian University as well, across the campus from Monty. Um, and um, I'm a, our director of experiential learning. I also teach uh, courses on global mission. Um, I my family, we served as missionaries in Thailand for seven years, where we also started a business and ran that. Um, and then I've also worked some time in congregational ministry and as well as with the International Rescue Committee, uh, Committee doing refugee resettlement. So okay. that's my story. Yeah. So you all come with a lot of experience um, and then you bring a book. And so when you bring a book, I mean, I think in our society, that's, that's expertise. I mean, who does that, right? Who sits down and does all this? Who puts all these words on paper without 
some expertise. So tell me why you wanted to write this book. And I can throw it at all three of you. Maybe, maybe Rob, you can, you can take this. Why, why this book in 2021 or 22? Well, uh, well, it came out, yeah, uh, came out in 21. Um, but uh, it's actually something that uh, Monty and I started talking about when we were a part of the Accord Network, which is the Christian Relief and Development, a, a network of organizations doing uh, poverty alleviation work uh, through Christian organizations. We both were attending that. We had had uh, connections and knowledge of each other and, and had collaborated on a few things. But we just started talking about uh, the desire. I, I wanted to look at the ways different uh, theological traditions within the Christian uh, tradition, right, had approached um poverty alleviation and how they could learn from basically a lot of the work that the secular world had been doing and learning about poverty alleviation. And I thought much of the church was ignoring or, or not paying attention. Right. And then Monty came along and said, hey, I've been wanting to talk about the history of compassionate ministries uh, throughout uh, the church uh, structure. And so we started collaborating together. And actually, Monty's written a second book alongside the book we co-wrote that also uh, deals more specifically on the history. And so I'll let Monty share a bit of that, of that as well. Sure. Yeah, and I, I'll just, I would jump into, uh, since since we were early in conversation, Rob and I, you know, I it's hard to miss today that, that knowledge is siloed and that we all know little bits and pieces. And uh, in our own experiences, we've been places where we thought, wow, that that what they're doing seems like it's 40 years old and people have learned lessons, you know, uh, 30 years ago, why this approach doesn't work. And yet the the people who were out there doing things were thinking they were pioneers. Um, yeah. And I, I saw that over and over again. And I saw that in myself, uh, things that that I didn't know about and, and um, wanted to know more about. So I think there's a strong history of activism among Christians, uh, at least modern day Christians. And, and, and yet I think it all starts with us. I think the beginning of this book starts with us and mm. and our intentions and um and admitting our own biases and mm. even as we wrote the book uh there were times even toward the end where we had to ask ourselves you know um, what biases do we have that are yeah. that are coloring what we're saying and and uh so it's, it's a process of a of examination um paired with this desire that when you watch the news and you want to, to do something to make a difference, uh, to be active, um, how can you be honest with yourself and keep learning, knowing that your knowledge is siloed uh, and yet uh, also be active? So what I think at least was in my mind as we began writing was, how can we draw on some of these pools of knowledge that seem separate, that don't always connect, and yet are all really rich, deep wells of perspective that can be helpful yeah. uh, when doing anything in a global context. And yeah. may I just add, sorry, that I just sure. add that Monty and I, when we were discussing this, we're like, well, I'm, I've come out of the practitioner world. Monty's uh, really has expertise in this historical look. We're like, we, we really should be talking to missions pastors because that's the target of the book, right? Is people who are wanting to go out make a difference through the church. So we invited Darren 
and his in, input in, in collaboration has just been such a beautiful thing. And it's just been wonderful to have that. And I, I would also say that when the book came out many years ago by Brian Fickard and Stephen Corbett, uh, When Helping Hurts, uh, many churches opted to say, well, if helping hurts, then I'm going to stop helping because I don't want to hurt anyone. And we're like, no, that the intent of the book was to say, you can help in a way that really helps. And we felt that When Helping Hurts really helped explain the reason for not doing harmful things. But if we could write a book that was kind of proactive and hopeful that said, here's how to do it well, uh, not from our own expertise, but listening to others and seeing what's going on and what's working well, then we can hopefully provide something that churches can latch on to. And Christians who want to do something can join in and do something, uh, or not only Christians in general, but anyone who wanted to take this and uh, learn from it. So, so Darren, one of the things in the book is this notion about the whole point in some ways is human relationships, right? And there's a, there's a Christian, there's an imperative that we create relationships. And that's one reason I wanted you on because we're in the same business y'all. Now I would like to get into how it differs somewhat, but there's not much difference between what first thing is trying to do. So tell us about this, this reordering of human relationships. How, how do how do you see that when it comes to missions and in the book. Yeah, well, I think it really starts with uh, how you understand what the gospel is. So coming from a Christian perspective, that's going to shape um, what you do. How do you envision the gospel? And, and the way we talk about it is that the gospel is that uh, really is that Jesus is Lord and that God is making all things new. And what that entails then is that um, God is, is about um, restoring and renewing creation, humanity, and relationships between humanity and God with each other. Um, and so if this is what God is doing through Christ, then what mission is, is participating in this reordering of uh, relationships, as uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you know, that he's creating one new humanity out of the two, talking about Jews and Gentiles in that context, but but he's making one new humanity. And I think that's um, what we're thinking about when we're thinking about even poverty alleviation is that this is not just material poverty, um, but poverty in a sense of brokenness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so how relationships are so key um, within, you know, maybe vulnerable communities, but also for those that want to help thinking about this is not just, um, you know, just technical expertise that you go in and put in some programs and things work, but it's actually putting relationships first where you say, okay, people in this particular community, they actually know what they need and they know what their uh, assets are and their strengths. And so yeah. saying, hey, we'll come alongside you, but you you lead the way and we'll try to help guide where we can. But it's really putting that, that leader, that relationship at the forefront um, and not coming in as the ones with all the answers. And now you just kind of do what we say and things will go well for you. So that's why, okay. I literally just pitched what we do. Now, here's the trick. And this is one of the questions that uh, I really wanted to, to ask. So it, it comes at a perfect time. So listening's part of that. Now, for folks out there who are just tuning in, what are they talking about? Well, there's this concept in history, and you all write about it, where poverty alleviation is not necessarily also mission work. You can actually separate it in history. Where mission work was just getting people to confess Christ, or getting people something like that. But now you all have integrated this poverty alleviation. So I, let me ask a question to any of you, but 
feel free to jump in. Listen, partner. So that's first things. Just go and listen. Spend six months, learn the local language, not, not the colonial language, the local language, like Mayan, Kiche. Partner. But then you all talk about evaluating impact. So if there's going to be a poverty alleviation part of this, then the, the Western world wants to see impact. How do you all do this? Like, how should one evaluate that poverty alleviation, a mission thing, a mission hope is also making impact? This is a trick. And I want to hear how, how you all think about this. I'll take a run at it, but uh, I'm going to lean on my my uh, co-authors to help me out, too. Sure. Um, you know, there's an old phrase that I grew up with, uh, and that is that uh, as Christians, we're called to be faithful, not effective. And I get the spirit of that. And that is that sometimes you can uh, live and labor and not see any fruit from what you're doing. Uh, that fruit being no sign that you've even been there or that uh, anything is happening that uh, that you would identify as as desirable, right. um, and, and yet you're called to be faithful. I get the spirit of that, but I think too often we're not transparent enough mm. with our efforts. We're not accountable enough with our efforts. We're not honest enough to ourselves with our efforts to um, to contribute to the world, and and so. If you take the best of both the faithfulness and the effectiveness, I think the effectiveness, at least the spirit of it, uh, is to to do those three things: to be transparent and accountable and honest. And yeah. and uh, so we're we're willing to scrutinize, if you will, or to reflect upon, uh, maybe is a better phrase, uh, what we're doing and what we intended and what we hoped. Um, so whatever those words. Uh, that fit the situation. Without that, I think we we have no moorings. Um, yeah, we're we're living, uh, we're relating. But if there is a if there's a desire for that relationship to grow in in a particular direction, um, then uh, much like being with a partner, there may be a desire. You can be together, but there may be a desire that together there's a kind of well being that emerges. Right. And, and, there may be, and it looks like something it has. It looks like something. Yeah. You can and there may, it. there may be, there may be parts of that relationship that are working and parts that aren't without some type of quote evaluation. Uh, we simply keep running in those same ruts. So, so that's, I've used too many words to say that and I'll see if my, my that's fellows good. have some, uh, yeah. have me, some other me, insights, but that's the start at least. Yeah, John, you, you mentioned earlier when we were talking offline that uh, you have children, right? And so yeah. do I. And I think each one here in this group has. Um, the thing that drew me to even poverty alleviation in general as a Christian was the number 40,000 kids dying a day from preventable causes, preventable causes, not from tragedy, from disasters. There are things that can be prevented that you and I benefit from. And that number has dropped from 40,000 kids when I was in college to, to about 16,000 a day. Sorry, 40,000 a day to 16,000 a day. And to me, there's no parent in the world, around the world, that has the love of the child that wants to see their child die, right? And so to right, me, that's right. a very easy, easy thing we can track, are less children dying. Right. And I think the church should be uncomfortable, and any human being should be uncomfortable until that number gets down to zero, right? That if there's a preventable thing, that we should be doing all our efforts. And you don't do that by just uh, assuming it will happen. You have to do it by measuring how many kids are dying, and you have to see why are they dying, and you have to figure out 
how to stop them from dying. Now, maybe if that is a very uh, <laughs> new world uh, thing, then that's the difference in some ways that I feel a very strong call to. So uh, that is what I've been driven by because of the pa- the parents' love of a child. Like I don't think people who have lost children are like, oh well. You know, in Swaziland, where I grew up as a missionary kid, now Eswatini, they used to record every cow that was born, but the child wouldn't be recorded with the government until after they're past the year one year of age. They wouldn't even give them the name because they were likely to more, there was a more than 50% chance that they would die than live. And so that to me is a big difference in terms of now they can expect their children to live. And that is a powerful, that love is a powerful motivator. So I wonder then, does that imply... I don't, I don't know if there's an answer to this, that some type of universal assessment um, index where, cause I, I was, I was listening as an old world. I'm trying to old world, new world that, and I did feel new world because in order to get the proper evaluation, then you have to do the proper sort of um, you have to cover whatever, whatever part of the world you're working in with a net that allows you to measure. Otherwise it's going to be difficult. So I'm not against that net, that, that rational net that says, here's the numbers. We studied it. We measured it. I'm not against that. But my question was, is if you don't have the proper net, the proper evaluation tools, then you might not get the proper answers, which may render some project irrelevant when in fact, there's all this payoff that's spiritual there, where you think you got the numbers right, but actually maybe the, the, the scientific process wasn't proper. And so now all this spiritual payoff that you can actually feel on the ground is not being rewarded because you have a poor measurement system. I wonder about that. Is that, do I sound crazy or is that a danger? That's a danger in, in our work. But then the other problem is then how do you assess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the, a, go ahead, go ahead yeah, go ahead, Darren. Well, I was just saying, no, I think that's a great point. I think that's where we get it, it is challenging. I, I, you know, I think a lot of our book when we're talking about evaluation and assessment is really focused on when you've zeroed in on a sector of development or sectors of development and you you know where you're at, what you're trying to aim at. So another example would be like if I'm working in the area of like modern day slavery and trafficking, and we're going to do, we're going to worry about preventing trafficking. Well, that's something, if that's what we're trying to do, then I can try, I can assess whether less people are being trafficked after our efforts. Right. Right. But does that mean that person, that community or those people in that nation, that region um, are doing well, or you might, we might say experiencing, um, the fullness of life. Well, that that same measurement is not going to measure that. So I think it is important to know what you're measuring and saying yeah, this is what yeah, we're measuring. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not saying we're measuring something else. And so I think that's helpful. So then when you get to that bigger question of, you know, we might the Christian language might say like experiencing shalom, right? This this like abundance that. of mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. right? Well, there are people that are where the Western world we might say is is. Uh, saying, oh, look at their suffering, but I've been around people that are in d- extreme poverty and uh, experience life with more joy and hope than people otherwise. So, and so exactly. if I measure that, if that's what I'm measuring and saying this is the t- totality of well-being, then yes, I have missed it completely. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to know 
what we're what you're measuring and evaluating, being clear about that, but not saying that means then something else that you're not measuring. So is it both and? It's it's you need the measurement and you need the wisdom, right? That's what your book says to me. <laughs> what I like about the book is it, it's really, and I highly recommend this, guys, development and mission. You can find it in our links. Is really the first half does everything that just makes my heart sing. And then the second half does everything that I really, uh, I don't know if I want to dig into, but it's the exact stuff that I need because of my weakness, because I don't want to measure in that way. When I read the second half, it's the practical part that allows me to be better at the first half. And the first half, if it, when you read the book, you'll see, it's really the theology and philosophy of what a mission should look like. And then it's how to do it. And it's amazing. And then, but the how to do it for some people, myself included, it can't be the first part for, for me. Does that make yeah. any sense? I think you all would agree with that. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think you would. I was just throwing to say, yeah, I think it's you can't do the, the measurement part without taking seriously what we try to lead with. And that is you have to listen. It has to be a participatory approach where um, you're not setting the agenda for some community that I just show up in. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I'm coming with uh, preconceived ideas of what we're going to do and how we're going to measure it without ever listening, then that's a problem. But once you're there, because I agree with you, go and live, learn the language, learn the culture, listen. And then once you're there and you start implementing things alongside people, then you develop those ways. Okay. What are you wanting? What are the needs here? What are the opportunities here? Now let's think about measuring, but you're right. If, if it's come in with, with some formula, then you're off to a bad start. And I, and I'm, I'm glad you picked that up on that in the book that we're really pushing that to say, Hey, let's get out of this colonial mindset of, we've got the answers and you now have to look like us or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I feel the tension that you're expressing. Yeah, sure. that's right. And and I appreciate that. And I'll just say this last point in this, and then I, I we can, we can try another question, but for me, and please comment on this, the post enlightenment world, which we call new world. And I joke that it's light people because that's the whole play on the notion of white people, but it's not white people, right? It's a, it's a way of thinking that tends to be Northern European. So it that's the joke, but that it produced a ton of wealth, very low mortality rates, but also incredible amounts of atheism, which is ironic, right? Like that the only truly atheistic societies in the world are born out of that, that kind of system that likes to measure things. So I'm not saying it's bad or good, but it is ironic on some level. You know, Europe has done well, but they're pretty atheistic. So what do we do with that? That's pretty wild, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would echo. I don't know if I'll, if I'll hit that well or not, but uh, to echo something Darren said a minute ago, you know, evaluation happens at the appropriate level. So it might be a, a top level uh, with Rob's example. It might be a community level or just between two people. Um, so whatever is the appropriate level, but. I guess I would throw in too that evaluation uh, can be seen as formative or summative. And so the summative is like, okay, how'd we do draw a line, add up all the numbers, let's see what the total is. But uh, um, formative is let's reflect on what's happening yes. here. Yeah, that's right. Let's reflect on how, how healthy are we? How healthy is this society? How healthy is this community? 
what's the level of well-being among us? Yeah. Um, and so I, that's this. That's also evaluation, and anyone can lean that direction, you know, and not the other direction when that's appropriate. So, yeah, I would say it's it's not simply drawing that line and summing the numbers and saying, okay, that's the sum total of right. our efforts. Well, I think for y'all in the book, it's something like transformational development does both. So what, tell us what transformational development, what is that? Well, we, we wanted to, to take the notion of holistic mission, which is something very familiar with Christian organizations to say that you're not just going and, and seeking that people proclaim the name of Christ so that they can get into heaven, right? Like the holistic mission is that you care about the whole person. But then there's also uh, this notion of uh, that, People uh, in, again, the secular world may be focusing on uh, global development as a form of getting people out of poverty and saving people's lives. Um, and that we try to marry those uh, notions to say there is a part here where Christians can learn uh, to, to help care about the people's lives, their, the real experiences of their lives, right? Like that they don't want to suffer, even if they are uh, necessarily uh, having challenges in their lives in, in a way that even Darren was referring to, like that they can have deep joy and happiness and peace in the midst of suffering. But in general, they probably don't want their children to die or they yeah, don't want to yeah. be debilitated sickness, right? So to find ways in which we can address those things in a way that treats the whole person, including their spiritual livelihoods. And I, I would say, you know, in kind of response to your previous question or your previous comment is that, yes, there's atheistic notions coming out of the new world, but there was a lot of uh, baby sacrifices coming out of the old world, right? Like in terms point. of things that, that they didn't care about the livelihoods of people right. and they would enslave people. And then all those, and I think of also the, the notion that, um, you know, the, the, the idea that you could have a historical uh, culture that didn't care about another culture or didn't care about if you For if you sure. follow the notion of missing women, there's 200 million uh, women that should be born in the world that aren't born because they either or are no longer alive because either they were aborted or they were um, uh, given less food or less medical care because the parents wanted just the male. And that's something that, yeah, okay, that's old world. That's part of something we all grew up in, but that's, or not us grew up in, sorry, but that we are, 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 our trajectory of our past, our ancient yeah, past, absolutely. even in our cultures, uh, had that notion that we we su sufficiently focus on uh, males or whatever, and that that no longer I think bodes well, right, for for anyone. And, and I don't think that's what Christ was about, right? So if we get back to the essence of Christ, you know, that that challenges uh, me yeah. to say what do, what do we learn from the new world that can help make us all better humans? So, yeah, in some ways the dichotomy is false this old world, new world idea. It, I, I think I like to use it because it makes us all think twice about what we've inherited, which is probably mm -hmm. not a bad idea, right? Not at all. But I always find I can't reject it. <laughs> it's of me. It's like when I come back from Sierra Leone where we were, I'm really happy to be home. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the, the whole, the, the, the immersion in the other culture teaches me about how to be better in my own. Right. On some level. Mm -hmm. And, and so, John, really, that's that's what that transformational part of this term transformational development is talking about, is that mm. we're transformed. The people we're with are transformed. We're all changed together, but it's not a one direction right. mission. It, it is a two direction exchange. And uh, uh, and so we're, we're all equals and we're all learning together. 
and we're all exchanging and we're all being transformed in the process. Do you all think there's a movement in, I'm just going to say Protestant, because there's a different flavor in Orthodox and we can get into it. In the Protestant mission movement, I mean, the late 90s when I was in Peace Corps, uh, well, I was actually working in the Georgian Republic. There was a certain flavor to a Protestant mission, and it was pretty clear what it was. And I experienced it both in Africa and in the Caucasus. And I, I don't I didn't like it. It was transactional. It was really transactional. A lot of people show up, come to our meeting, get this food, hear this message. And so I know you all know that. Do you think your book is a part of a pushback against the type of mission that was alive in culture that may be less alive? Is that part of the book, pushing back against an idea that took form in America? Yes. <laughs> is, that, is that a good answer? <laughs> Sorry, it's a leading question, but yeah, no, that's no, I think you're you're right on. So I try to think where to go because that's Yes, I think it's a push. And I think, you know, what I would call kind of modern or even recent Protestant missions, I think there's been a lot of correctives to that um, in places like if you look at like in, integral mission, particularly coming out of Latin America. Right. So this is, you know, that was in the seven started in the 70s. Um, and, you know, movements like that and others are correctives to what you're describing, but yet the legacy of that coming, I agree with you, actually coming post-enlightenment, um, that legacy lives on. And so we're trying to, you know, push against that using, you know, a term like holistic mission yeah, and transformational yeah. development to say, this is not that same model of, you know, showing up and saying, hey, you know, we have something to say to you, listen up, and then we'll move on. And, you know, and, and honestly, to, to go back to your thing about old world, new world, I, I do agree with you in that an, exa an example of this would be even from a theological perspective, um, where I think so much of the enlightenment shapes how we do mission and how we, in that, when we do this kind of dualism of the spiritual and the physical and the political wow. and personal and uh, heavenly and earthly, all these, all these dualisms, dichotomies, well, then you got to choose which one you're focusing on. And, and Protestant missions has mostly, mostly not all, but mostly said, well, yeah, well then if those, if that's the way the world is, then we, we need to worry about, we worried about souls and we need to right, worry about going right, to heaven. Right. And, and so this, that dualism leads, uh, shapes your theology, which shapes your practice. And so mission looks like yeah, I know I'm supposed to care about whether you have food or not, but really I'm just concerned about your soul going to heaven. And that is, that's what we're pushing from a theological perspective. We're pushing against that to say, well, one, just philosophically, that's problematic. And we could get into that, but, but even, but theologically, that's not uh, what scripture says and what the gospel is about. Um, and so but hopefully by pushing in theological ways, it shapes the practice to where we are and resisting, if you will, um, the what what you described a moment ago. Gosh, there's so much richness in that. It, this is what I don't want to talk more than y'all. I'll make this a question, okay? So, where our organization struggles is in acquiring the funds through the grant process because we start with listen, partner, and then I'm just telling y'all, and please just ripped us apart. What happens is, is 
the identification of a local person who has something to offer to the community, though the identification of a local partner that has something to offer to the community. In other words, a human who lives in the highlands in Guatemala, who knows exactly what their village needs. The identification of that person for me is almost everything. It's, it's almost everything. Now, what happens with that person? Well, what do they need? And then you start to download their needs in your language, meaning the language of, you know, this, this, the rational savvy grant finder person, me. Once you've done that, this is what I don't like. And now let's deliver even a small little amount. Let's call him Jose. Let's deliver 20 grand to Jose. Why do I have to go back and see that Jose did everything proper with my 20 grand? This drives me nuts. Should I be driven nuts by this? Because we did, we did 17 months to find Jose. We trust him. It's all, that work's already done. And now let Jose be free. The problem is, is my donor back here is going to make me go and evaluate using a Western mentality that allows him to feel good about his donation. That's the part that drives me nuts. Should I be driven nuts or should I relax about that? Well, I think uh, a couple things. One is uh, certainly our, our, the approach that people take. I mean, there's two things I would say is uh, one of the reasons why we promote randomized control trials is that it gets, uh, avoids uh, this is saying, what are you doing that has impact? You're, you're talking about an individual. We're talking about communities, right? Okay. Like if you engage mm-hmm. in a community mm-hmm. and you're doing something that you think is good at the end, of, whether it's Jose doing it or someone coming from the outside or, uh, into the country as a volunteer or as an as a employee, you're looking at the totality of your intervention and saying, has the society been better at whatever, again, the community has said we right. want to be better at, right? As a, a collaborative listening process. So, yes. Um, that's not an individual saying, hey, we're going to trust them with the money and do whatever they need to do. The other thing is, and we mentioned this a few times, uh, is Give Directly is a new organization that's got millions of dollars. And they're basically taking cell phones and transferring up to $1,000 a week, or sorry, a year per year to certain families that they've identified as po- impoverished. And they're saying, let's track what they do with the money. And it's totally up to them to do it. So it's not even just Jose. It's everyone in that community getting that grant, that $20,000, like 20 people, right? And yeah. so we we say, and they're using randomized control trials to say, are we making a difference in their lives? Are we? And they're listening to the people to give feedback to say, what did you do with the money? Did you did, did it bless your family? Did it help your family? And things like that. And by the way, give directly. It was not, it's not a Christian organization. It was not founded by a, a group of Christians. Uh, there is one person who there is a member of faith who, who's uh Part of it, but the, the idea is that that's where development is moving, and that's the secular world is saying. Cast Isn't that interesting. Yeah, and so what I'm saying is we should be learning about that. Maybe the church. And here's one example: when we were in Malawi uh, recently, uh, we uh, had looked at a place where we used to. And I was talking to the people on the ground. There was a flood uh, because of a storm, and people were, um, you know, facing hunger uh, because of that. And historically, our denomination, Church of Nazarene, that I'm a part of, we would buy the food in the capital city, truck it down, figure out all the transportation costs, and then distribute bags of rice and a certain amount for each family for six months. We decided to switch that up and through Canadians, uh, the, the Canadian group uh, that, that funded this and said, give cash grants and let them have for six months just cash, distribute cash every month and let the people go out and buy the food in the local community nearby and, and boost the economy. And that's what I'm saying is we're learning about that aspect from organizations like United Nations, World Bank, you know, uh, research firms that are secular. And the church doesn't pay attention to that generally. 
the the Canadian donor who was paying attention. So they asked the church and you shouldn't, you would believe that church leaders were like, this is so much better than what we were doing the last uh, hurricane that came through. This is so much better. The people are so much happier and better off and connected and it's helping the economy. So, I mean, like that, they were forced by the donor to do that. So yeah, your donor is kind of, I can understand as a frustration, but the point is that's what the book is trying to help educate the yes, whole process, exactly. the whole process. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. That's the holistic part, right? That's right. That, that you all talk about in the book. That's right. And again, John, I don't want to, I'm not against that. I, I'm it's, it's not in my skill set. I have some of those skills. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And I respect it. Um, and that's why I love the book, but yeah, thanks for that. I'm sorry, Monty, I cut you off. No, no. So I just tag on that, you know, I, I get your discomfort if going back uh, is to check on Jose, uh, but maybe going back is to check on, on me uh, because there have been so many unintentional consequences of attempting to uh, cross a culture and try to do something that you think is good. And uh, many times we've 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 done damage, and so it may be to go back to learn. Absolutely, you know what what didn't work. What what did I you know what what did we do in our planning together? What's what's not worked out that we thought would work out? Right. Um, and so again, it's part of a formative process more than it is this summative process or some sort of accountability, just of of, uh, of this trusted colleague that you have in one. Right. For sure. For sure. And then. Uh, tell me about Darren, are you comfortable with the notion of, because I, I think some of the early chapters, and I know that you were responsible for some of a lot of the theology in the book, what is colonialism to you? How does it, how does it play out in the work of, of, of Christian missions going global North, global South? Like, Mm. I feel like sometimes education is colonialism almost like by definition, what's your take on that in this work called missionary work? (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a big topic. The relationship between colonialism and, and missions. Um, Yeah. I mean, it is definitely, we tried to keep it at the forefront as we wrote this book to think about the legacy of colonialism, both historically and and still today. And, you know, I think, we, we tried to, at least I tried to connect it theologically to say, you know, colonialism is this, you know, assertion of power and to um, kind of assume my way is, is the best way and yeah. to make others kind of bow to my own desires and, and um, views of way life is supposed to be lived in that, that when you think about um, the gospel and, and we use this term, in the in the book kenosis that comes from this passage in philippians 2 where it says that um, christ who though he was in the form of god did not regard equality with god as something to be held on to but emptied himself and that emptied himself is is kenosis um in that even if this is the gospel where the god who created everything is coming down to become human to be a servant to even to die on a cross which is the most humiliating death um, and it's in the, it's in that giving up of oneself that then life is found for the one giving up their life and others around. Um, that's that's very different than the colonial mindset um, of saying, "Well, we want to help you, and we know what that's is going to look like. So here you go, and now look a lot like us, um, and you'll be better." 
that actually it's this idea of emptying yourself um, for the other. And so I think um, a lot of, I mean, whether it's education, but I also say even the idea of, um, of wealth and poverty, the way we define that, like that there's this happiness if you can just accumulate wealth, right? Well, that, that, if that's what we're measuring poverty alleviation by, then we're off, you know, we're in some troubled waters. And same with education. If, if education means the way I think education has to happen where, you know, knowledge is, is siloed and you gotta have a, have a discipline and it has to be very materialistic and, post-enlightenment, that kind of stuff, then you're not going to, one, that's not the best, but also you're going to miss people, right? If I'm talking in terms that are post-enlightenment and I'm working in a village in Northern Thailand, um, I'm not even going to be able to communicate well. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a colonial problem, but it's also just a being able to make a difference if I'm assuming the categories when I go in. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the tentacles of colonialism, um, sadly, are are vast, and we always have to be paying attention to that. You all see this too, Monty. He does this. To me, it's probably the seminal. I mean, if you look at postmodern thinkers, critical race theory right now, what I feel like it's a reaction. It's just an anger. It's like a chaotic anger at yeah. that that colonial mindset, and so. I mean, here's four white guys on a call or whatever. Darren, I don't know. Maybe you're not a white guy. I don't know. But I think we all pass for a white guy. And and one of the things I was asked, what do you do about the white man savior complex? And I basically gave a kenosis answer. They didn't like that answer at all. And there was this big rebellion. The whole conversation went off the rails and it was super fascinating. And I loved it because I love that kind of stuff. But, but guys, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is it does have to be addressed. I don't think the postmodernists, the folks who just want to rage against the enlightenment experiment, I don't think they're totally crazy. And so part of our work is designed to try to say, we hear it, we hear it. But, but what do you say then to people who say, don't go, just stop? Because that's one of the things that happens. What, what do we say to that? That gets weird. I, I, I think we address, I was going to say education is a two-way street, right? In terms of um, when we find out that people living in poverty say this trade uh, situation or this political decision is hurting us and our people, that we as Christians in the global north need to then be listening, clearful enough yeah. to say, yeah. oh, it's not just a two-week trip to go help them. When we're there, we're painting buildings and doing VBS for their kids. Oh, we're actually coming back here and calling our political leaders and advocating for and voting for the things that change the circumstances so that they have equality of, of opportunity. So it's an education. In fact, I would say that part of the book is to help educate the church in the global north to say, if you really care about these lives, as you say you do, then the what you do the rest of the 50 weeks during the year is more important as you do the two weeks when you go on a short-term mission trip, right? That, that's the message we're trying to get to say, and how do you do that? You educate yourself to say, what are the policies, the political policies, the economic policies and businesses and governments that are affecting the lives of poor people that we can help change based on our economy and our voice. Like we yeah. live in a democratic society where we can actually speak into these things. And if you're staying silent in those things so that you can go on your two-week mission trip, 
so that you can do good for them there. And that is the colonial mindset in education and all sorts of things. So it's a two-way street. And that's what we're trying to promote in the book. Wow. Yeah, that we, we were naive when we got started sort of based in the Peace Corps model. Because what I saw was the Peace Corps model was, was really good. Uh, and then it gets really messy. Like in the second year of a Peace Corps, it's just like, what are you doing there? It's, it's, it's messy as heck. And mm-hmm. so what, what we saw was is that Peace Corps provided a really nice idea. But then I realized we went as naive in the sense that we were all going to go under and beneath the whole role of government. And you'll never do that. We wanted to get down on the ground just help people. But then we really quickly realized that the good projects we were finding, not do, you know, this is the whole, our ideas to find them. They're already there in the heart of a person, or even maybe they've already extended the project into reality, but they're going to bump into some political person. Like you're saying, Rob, something's coming (laughs) where they're going (laughs) to need something from somebody in power. You better make friends you better make good friends with that whole chain of political reality. Otherwise, your project's not going to work. So I like that. That helped me to see like, okay, you're being a bit naive about just be everyone's best, best friend. Like that's <laughs> not really going to work, you know, which I feel is really important. But so, yeah. And I, I like the book on that because again, it's just so rich with both conversations. So um, that, that was helpful to me, Rob, what, what you're saying. And, and so here's a, here, let's do a couple more. Are you guys up for a couple more? Just sure. yeah. one of the things that's really fascinating for me is I dug into all this literature about mission work as an Orthodox Christian, getting ready to put together this work. Now we're not under a Bishop. So in our world, we're not Orthodox. <laughs> so it's, it's difficult. What I'm trying to say is there's no priest or Bishop that, runs our show mm-hmm. we're really secular in the in the sense of our legality but we use an ethos that's christian and i would call it orthodox mm-hmm. and so when i hear all these really good mission folks and i'm talking about missionaries in the protestant tradition that i've worked with when i hear them they use this phrase the church it confuses the heck out of me and now we don't have to get into a theological conversation conversation but when you guys say the church how do you come back and speak to the church when there's so many independent churches and in and and networks and it's such a fascinating way to hear it for me i actually hear like a bishop when you guys say the church so i'm always interested how do you do this as as missionaries in this tradition when you come back to try to educate the church is it difficult how does it work who do you speak to Monty, you, you, write, you write a you write a book and then leave it to them to read it and go on with your life <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard i'm being a jerk on this but i really want to know i agree no you you put this into into the world i love it you manifest yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean i think on a serious note i mean i it's challenging. And, you know, you, some level it's just utilizing the networks that you have, right? I mean, there's no, I'm going to go out here and get all these churches to think correctly as if I know what that even is anyway, but, um, but it is challenging. You know, I, I come from a, a background religious heritage. That's, 
there is, it's not just there's not a bishop, there's not a governing board, there's not a hierarchy, there's not a anything. Right. It is a bunch, it's a loose affiliation of autonomous churches. Right. So how do you do that? Well, you you try to, you know, the places that you can speak and have influence on and write a book, whatever it takes, but mm-hmm. it's a challenge. But you know, I think in the book, when we say the church, most of the time we're using that term to mean the universal church. Like we're talking about God's people in the world. Confessors um, of Christ, people who right, like cross Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, whatever. That's what we mean in the church. That we're, you know, we're yes, I come from a particular, you know, heritage, but I consider myself Christian and as broad as sense. And that's who we're talking about. Whoever can grab some of these things and run with it that follow the way of Jesus, great. And even those that don't follow the way of Jesus, we hope that it can be helpful to them. And we want to partner well, right, with people right, like that right. as well. But when we talk about the church, usually that's what we're referring to. But then when, you know, but you do have to get down to actual like local congregations right. or a group of people or however that's defined and say, now, what are you doing? If you're, if you're a part of this, you know, 20 member house church or a church of a thousand, whatever that might be, how can you as a community of people engage in God's work in the world and, and try to steer people and hopefully some, some positive directions, but it is challenging. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would I, add, add too that you just, you we're looking at the different networks, right? So we're, we're speaking just as much to uh, mission agencies that send missionaries through uh, different categories, as well as the Christian relief and development world uh, to say, Hey, this is a resource again, uh, you know, and I've seen uh, the book when helping hurts has, has influenced and impacted so many different churches, denominations, individuals, Christians, non-Christians, that this is something that we're saying, hey, we're hopeful that this is speaks, uh, provides the wisdom that says this is how you can go about looking for local communities in the local context where you're and listening to them, right? Like that going on listening tours, inviting them to come speak in your churches in the, in the global North, rather than going into the global South and speaking at their churches, right? Like how do you find ways to engage where, again, you're listening to their heartbeat of what is going on in their world. And you're looking at how is our world in my community impacting their world? And what can Mm -hmm. I do to make a, a difference and a change? So the church is the body of Christ. Yeah. not a specific denomination or church. Monty, do you ever in the book that y'all allude to this fascinating, it's like a little quiz. I forget which chapter it's in, but one of the questions is, what do you think there's more Christian? Where are the Christians most emerging? Where do you see the most increase in Christianity? It's in the global South where we're sending missions, which is, that's pretty freaky right there. Like Monty, how do you, make sense of that like does yeah, that you know there's so many fronts on which we're kind of behind what's actually happening and and we're playing catch up but um people have said of course the count is not possible that there are more christians in china than there are in europe or more christians in china than in north america there uh, the center of christianity at this point is in north africa yeah. Uh, the global center of Christianity. And so that uh, it, it's not centered in Europe. It's not centered in the United States, just the pure counts of population, the number of Christians. And that simple statistic corrects somewhat our thinking that um, the Christianity is European or the Christianity is North American. Its mm-hmm. roots are not in, in either, either of those geographies uh, in the Middle East. And uh, Christian missions happened uh, 
uh, from the apostles of Jesus uh, yeah. being engaged in mission to India and China and, and uh, North African Christians were long involved in the faith and in many ways influenced the Christian faith. Uh, Africa has played a large part in Christianity from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Augustine is from Africa. And so <laughs> African Christians, uh, uh, again, we tend to think of Christianity as European or North American. And so, again, it's part of decolonizing our own thinking and realizing the impact that's not new, even though it is stronger today than, than in the uh, recent past. But uh, this is a long impact of global Christianity in our faith, and we're part of a global church. So if we use that small C uh, church reference that we were talking about a minute ago, this is a global church, and, and that's part of what connects us um, in our mindset. So it's not just, do I care for my family or my next door neighbor? We're part of a global church, and we're part of a global humanity. Yeah. Again, it's just fighting against the, the colonial ideas that we've all inherited and continuing to try to wash over those with the gospel and allow our thinking to be changed. Uh, from rich caring for poor or American caring for someone in Africa or Asia uh, to changing that mindset. Um, And that happens through the gospel, but it also happens through a variety of sources uh, uh, that can, can influence the way we're thinking and correct, bring some correction. Oh man. I'll add one of the things we see is when our guys commit to two years and then we live at the level of wherever we go. So if you're in Sierra Leone, our guys live in mud huts, the ascetic practice of whatever it is. Look, if you're used to eating a certain way and then you're eating with your hands out of a bowl, then what happens is, is that's asceticism for you. That's, that's breaking down who you are. And, and Monty to what your point is, is, wow, the power of asceticism toward transforming a soul is intense. You're talking about quickly making an impact. So we always find, and you guys know this, because you all you all lived this, the impact on the person who goes is usually much greater than the impact on the people they're, quote, trying to help. Do you all find that? I find that all the time. It is, which is why I say that the, <laughs> the responsibility, my life versus uh, Luke twelve forty eight. to whom much is given, much is required, right? Yeah. And so if even the trips that I've gone internationally have benefited me more than the people I actually visited, then, oh my goodness, what responsibility I have, right? Great to then course. share their story and to change the practices and to speak up and to have a voice to say, this is right, this is wrong, this is helpful, this is not in the places and circles of influence that I have, which is because I'm the one that got to travel and they have not, I visited them, they didn't visit me, right? And We've had lots of people from uh, the global south in our homes as well, but we got to see a whole lot more when I travel. Uh, and so those those responsibilities are heavy and hard. And uh, if Christians all around the world who call uh, claim the name of Christ took that seriously and took the time to educate themselves and then activate and engage and advocate for things, the world would be completely different. The world would be completely different. I, I uh had a dear friend, Bakari Kamara. He's a manding from, from Mali. He came to visit me. Okay. And he stayed for quite a while, like t- almost two months, New York city. And it was cold mm. and it's November. <laughs> and he's got, he's meeting his bomber of his, his manding and bomber of friends in New York guys. I knew, and they're all cold. They're freezing. 
to death. And Bakri is coming back to my, you know, sitting on the couch. And he's like, ah, now I know why you went to Mali. He said, you went to Mali so you could suffer and become better. That's why all these guys went to America to suffer, make money and become better. And then I realized there's this double kenosis going on. Like half of American immigrants have come here. You know, they suffer, guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> they're they're emptying themselves so that they can serve their families. Yep. And in some ways, that's the proper missionary model in reverse. We should feel something more than a happy weekend. <laughs> there's something mm-hmm. should happen that transforms us, which I think your book is teaching us on a mm-hmm. deep level, which is really cool. So I don't know. We've been going an hour. We can keep going, but <laughs> I, I, I think. Can I come back to you all and we do a part two? Um, you bet. I think what's going to happen is I'm going to hear a lot of good feedback because, listen, guys, there's this one notion of missionary work, especially among secular people who have rejected the church. And today, I think we started to say maybe not that, and. Let's do another one after we get some feedback. All right, y'all. And then let's just talk about what it is and, and um, keep, keep, keep having the conversation. What's the best way to get in touch with your book and your work? Is there anything we should go to school at Point Loma, right? <laughs> well, Abilene Christian, Abilene Christian, or Abilene the, Christian. And I'll, let, right. and I'll let them speak because it's their press that uh, published the book. And I'm very, very grateful that they did. So Monty, why don't you share with them how they can, well, we're, we're just thankful for uh, the conversation and have enjoyed talking around these these issues and, and uh, we'd be happy to do more of that. But yeah, you can find the book at any any outlet and uh, it's in the Kindle as well as, yeah. as in the print. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. That was, well, let's put it this way. You have three folks from something like the Protestant Confession really talking about relationships as the primary function of mission work hmm good stuff I think there's more there we got to keep talking with them so Shenny Skagi Marjos that means to you the victory that's often said at the Supra which is a Georgian tradition from the Caucasus one of these places where a lot of us go to work and that tradition basically informs us that the number one and most important thing in the world Right, is to stop and see your brother, to relate. So, nakfamdis, that means goodbye in Georgian. Au revoir, kambufo, see you next time on Watar.